Corinthians to record that in um, Actually preached those psalms in this congregation before Pastor Stazen was called. <laughs> some of you may remember, some of you may be too young to, to remember. And I remember I didn't quite finish when he came, but was able to come back later and finally finish off that series. But I figured that enough time has elapsed that, that I can come back to a couple of these songs. So hear the word of God as it comes from Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who drank. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore the fortunes, O Lord, that like springs in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. This is the Word of God. This one. Father, we thank You for, for Your Word, for Your Word read and heard. We thank You that this in itself is a means of grace and a blessing to our ears and to our hearts. Because Your Holy Spirit illumines and applies that Word to us specifically. Lord, You've also commissioned the preaching of Your Word and of Your Gospel you set men apart for this labor. Men who are just like those to whom they preach. Earthen vessels, feet of clay, sinners who need to be redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like those to whom they preach the gospel. You delight to hide treasure in those earthen vessels, those jars of clay, especially in the preaching, that you might be glorified. And you grant the strength and the unction of your Holy Spirit to your servants. Your servant here now humbly submits to you in need of that strength to proclaim the gospel with clarity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> the songs of the sets come to us actually in book 5. This morning we were looking at 126. This afternoon at 127 in these songs. These were pilgrim songs. These were the songs that the people of God especially sang after the Babylonian captivity, after the rebuilding of the temple, it's at that time in the post-exilic community actually that, that the Psalter arrived in the form in which we have it now. And these were songs designated songs of the saints that they in particular, the pilgrims sang while going up to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem, second temple, after Babylonian captivity. They sang these songs as preparation as they made their way. And Psalm 126 is certainly a fitting song for that occasion. And the Old Covenant, it also is under the New Covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a song of 
utter elation. I mean, an absolute joy. So much so that the psalmist says, we're like those who dream. Because what God has done for His people, He's saying, don't pitch me. I don't want to wake up from this dream and find myself back in battle. Or pinch me. I'm fully awake. What I'm experiencing here in the Jerusalem, having now arrived to begin rebuilding the temple of God, is God's countenance shining once more upon His people. And He is so filled with joy, He can't but sing. It's very clear that whoever wrote the psalm was one of the ones who answered the call of King Cyrus in 539 B.C. for the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the house unto Yahweh, to rebuild the temple of God. And this is one of the ones, one of that remnant that answered that call, that made that journey across the desert to this holy end of reestablishing the worship of God on the earth again after that ceased in its corporate manifestation when the temple was destroyed in 587, 586 BC by the Babylonians and the people of God were taken away in exile. Now the Lord has turned once more his face was shining up on his people and it's within that context that this psalm was written. But in order to really understand the joy of this psalm, we need to compare and contrast it to another. And so I want to turn to Psalm 137, just a couple of pages over. Psalm 137 is not in the Songs of the Saints. They end with 134. 135 is the Hallelujah Psalm. 136 is what's called the Great Hallel. And then you have Psalm 137, which is re rehearsing for us this judgment of God that came in 587, 586. If we could date 126, pretty close to 539, 538 BC, we can date 137, 587, 586 BC. For the walls of Jerusalem were torn to the ground. And what you have here is <coughs> abject sorrow of a death that's almost unimaginable. You see frustration. You see it turn to anger as you look at this psalm. Because the psalmist is standing under God's crowning providence. Because God has come in judgment upon his own people. Because she would not hear his prophets and his preachers who came and preached repentance. But presumed upon God's favor and continued in sin. And God came in judgment upon his people. And this psalm was written by one of those who tasted Listen for it again. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down in a rapt when we remember Zion. You hear the difference between 126 of the elation and 137? The utter dejection in sorrow. It's 
one of the reasons why we love to sing the Psalms, isn't it? Some of you have read it down in the Every human emotion is found in the Psalter. As God deals with His people in His providence, blessing them and at times judging them, times of gladness and times of sorrow. You can find it all here. And to understand the Psalms rightly, you need to understand the narrative of redemptive history. That, that story of God's salvation here as you see it in the Old Covenant, but anticipating the New, that, that underlies these songs. Then these songs come alive. And the psalmist here is either one of those who saw the temple being torn to the ground, saw the city walls breached, the city walls destroyed, was one of those that was taken away into exile. There were actually three times in which Babylon came against Judah. 605 B.C., Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a few others of the brightest young men were taken. 597 B.C., 10,000 of the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylonia. Babylon included Ezekiel, priest of God, who would become a prophet in and now 587, 586 BC, when the rest were taken away into captivity, except for the most aged and infirm among them. They couldn't make the trip. One man named Jeremiah, remember him? A prophet, an old man. Probably this was the occasion of him writing the book of Lamentations. We need to understand this narrative that underlies these wonderful songs. Here is God's family providence. It's God's judgment upon His people. But it's not a final judgment. Even the prophets that warned them, Jeremiah warned them of this judgment that was coming. But he said, it's going to be short-lived, 70 years. Why? Because God is a kind of keeping God. But listen. Listen to this song even more as we read it. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept and remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our hearts. They're not playing their hearts. They're hanging their hearts on the willows. How can they sing? For there our captors were part of his songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us your songs. They still have the songs, even though the Psalter hadn't yet been put together as we have it in the form now. And many, many of the songs already. Not this one, but speak written on this occasion. Come sing the songs of Zion. That's what their captors say. Sing us your songs. You have hearts, play them and sing them. How can we sing the Lord's song of the I forget you, O Jerusalem, that my right hand forget its skill. Literally, that my right hand is coming loose. May I, may my hands forget how to play the heart. I don't want to play it ever again. In a foreign land, while Jerusalem is desolate, while the house of God is torn to the ground. 
Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Let me never sing again until God's countenance shines upon us once more and we are restored. And that's what Psalm 126 is. I'm going to leave the rest of 137 for you to read at home. But let me warn you. It is victory olive. It will make you shrink back when you read it. It is the imprecation of all imprecations in the Psalter against the enemies of the people of God who rejoice in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple of our God. You can read that on your own because we're going to spend the remainder of our time in the happy song. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. And God restored them. And this is what we see in, in 126. Listen again to the elation. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream that our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. The other psalmist says, May my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth and never to sing or shout for joy again until God restores us according to His promise. Well, that's happened. And our psalmist is experiencing this. He can't help but sing and shout for joy. And it's interesting when you read the narrative portions of this. And also you can see the same thing reading Haggai and Zechariah. These, these post-exilic prophets that the Lord sent when labors on the temple ceased because of opposition for a number of years to stir them up to finish what they were sent to do. But when they arrived at Jerusalem, there were among those who came back to rebuild the temple, there were those who were at Jerusalem when the temple was destroyed, probably children. Because 50 years of time have elapsed since the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and now they're returning to, to rebuild it. Some of the older ones who saw Solomon's temple in all of its glory, but also saw it being torn to the ground. And we're told in the narrative that when, when they saw the city, and when they saw the temple, when they remembered what it was before, and when, when they sat at the altar and began worship, and then they laid out the foundation of the temple, some of us always wept. It's nothing like Solomon's temple. But the younger ones who had not seen, who had only heard, they saw opportunity. And this was most clearly one of the younger ones who wrote this song. And they're filled with elation. Yes, there's work to be done. God, once more, is to be worshipped according to His prescription under the Mosaic covenant in Jerusalem. And that's what we see in this song. The other thing that's interesting that we see next is that the response of the nations. If you look at Psalm 37, it gives a response to what the Edomites did when the temple was being destroyed, and they said, raise it, raise it to the ground. As they rejoice 
and the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple of God. But now, this mighty act of God of sending the remnant back and, and the re rebuilding the temple unto the Lord, even those that are their enemies around them cannot help but admit the truth. They say the Lord has done great things for them. Now remember, these were pagans. They believed God they was the God of Judah and the God of Israel. They had their own gods. They mocked God at the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. But here they have to admit that their God is doing something. His, his face is shining on them. Again, He's doing great things for them. And then those that return, they take up the song. And this becomes your song. This is your part. Listen carefully. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Let's say it together. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. No, we have to say it louder. It's the shouts of joy that they are saying. I know you're a bunch of Presbyterians. You don't know how to do this. I recognize that. But let's try. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Now if that was true then, how much more is this true today? For what the Lord has done for you in Christ Jesus. All that happened in the old, and this is redemptive history, it is anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because your bondage, your exile, is not in a foreign land. Your bondage is to sin. And that has to be broken. And you have to be redeemed. And a Redeemer had to come. And He came in the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm is talking about the rebuilding of the temple, the establishing of the worship of God upon the earth. But, but that's not all that we see in the narrative. In 444, 445 BC, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, learns that the walls are still in ruins. He goes to the king. He requests leave to go back in to do that. He's given that by God. Nehemiah comes about 13 years after Ezra brought spiritual reforms. Nehemiah comes in, in an extraordinary short period of time. Almost for practice. With a sword in one hand and a trowel in another. They rebuild the walls to fortify the city. So worship is restored earlier. Now the city is fortified. All this lacking is when will David's son come into the city and take his seat upon the throne? When will God fulfill the promise he made to David and the covenant that he made to him? And they had to wait for over 400 years. And when he came, he shot everyone. He didn't unseat Pilate. He didn't take his seat on Mount Zion. He went up Mount Moriah to the house of God. And he closed his father's house. And that seal is finished at the end of the week. And he knew it the whole time. Because he came to reveal the people for himself. And that would take the cross. 
when he was at the Praetorium, he was not crowned with the crown of jewels, but with the crown of thorns. And driven through the streets of Jerusalem, across on his back, crucified on Golgotha. That's no defeat. That's the glory of the sight. That's your redemption. So if in that day they say, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad, how much more today do we shout? Return again. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the psalmist is not satisfied. <laughs> we need to recognize this. We, we live, we walk in the midst of the victory. We do. But we also live in the period now when we don't live in the not yet. It's why I read Revelation 25 earlier to see what the not yet looks like. The not yet is broken in to the here in that. As we're united with Christ in His death burial and in His resurrection. And yet we see brokenness all around us. We see sin and blasphemy. Blasphemy the name of our Lord Jesus Christ of our God upon us. We see a task not yet done. We see a world that still needs to be evangelized. And so, even in the midst as we bask in blessing, we have to think about the condition of the call and what remains. To be done. This is true in the old covenant, it's true in the new as well. We see it here when he says in verse 4 Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like springs in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap shouts, the shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. Now, the picture here is of agriculture, but he's not talking about sowing seed and harvesting seed. He's talking about people. What lies behind this is a reality many people don't recognize. With the King Cyrus issued the decree for the people of God to return to rebuild the temple, only a remnant answered that call. Most of them remained in Babylon and scattered beyond. They're called those who lived in the diaspora, the scattered ones. There's a remnant that goes back to rebuild the temple. Glorious things are happening. God's face is shining once more. The temple is being rebuilt. The worship of God is, is, is reestablished. We see this. These are reasons to rejoice. But there's so many of our brothers and sisters who aren't here yet. And so that's the prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like strings in the Negev, or strings in the south. In the south, in the Holy Land, which is desert, there are wadis. And what are wadis? Well, most of the year, they're dry stream or riverbeds. But in the wet season, when the rains come, they become like roaring torrents. These wadis, these dry riverbeds, are, are, are full of water that's flowing and flowing. The picture here is the people of God returning 
to Jerusalem, like the strings in the neck. And you would see this in particular, a picture of it, where they were coming, singing the song for the saints in order to worship the Lord. So, so imagine for a moment that, that you were living back in that day. But the temple's rebuilt, let's say, the city's re-fortified. Jesus has not yet come. But you live, let's say, in Kedar. Or you could say Meshach. These are two places that are suggested in Psalm 120, the first psalm of the Psalms of the Saints. But Kedar is far to the east in Upper Arabia, what's now, of course, the Saudi Arabia, is where Kedar was located. The Kedarites are descendants of Ishmael. Kedar was his second son. Say that you're a Jew that lives among the Kedarites. And they were enemies. That's what we read in Psalm 120. If you want to go to Jerusalem, you want to worship the Lord. Let's say you got a thousand sheep. You can't you can't go to your neighbors and say, would you take care of our pets for four months as we go to Jerusalem? Especially when your neighbors are your enemies. You have to liquidate everything. You have to sell off your whole herd. You have to reduce your possessions in order to make this kind of Imagine making that pilgrimage. Imagine for a moment that you cross the the Jordan River. Did you don't go directly to Jerusalem, but take a less traveled path down to Bethlehem, which was six miles south. And yet now the day comes. It's the time when you're taking your family to Jerusalem itself. And you make that six-mile trek to the north. You come to a high place where you can finally see the city. Maybe for the first time in your life. Can you imagine the joy? And what do you see? You see people. You see people that are behind you on the road from Bethlehem and beyond who are before you on that road. As that road comes down, the road from the west from Joppa comes in. If you could, could be on the pinnacle of the temple and you could look out and see people streaming into Jerusalem for the worship of God coming from all over the world for this particular feast of festival to worship God. That's the picture. But the psalmist longs for them not just to come and worship and then return. As we come to the new covenant, we need to recognize this. We rejoice for those that God has given to us, for every sheep of the fellow, for every one But we yearn for these seats to be full. We yearn for putting chairs in the aisle. We yearn to have four chairs in the back. We learn to fill this building so let's find another church in the next We learn for more and more and more people who are pagans but who are eternally beloved of God to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and bow the knee to Him and come in. 
There are many out there who need to hear this gospel. And you get this sense under the old covenant, much more so under the new, as we read this, as he, as he goes into this picture, this uh, agrarian picture, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. That's what the farmer does. He takes the seed and he sows it. But he sows it in tears. It's tall. It's labor. It's work. And he, he sows it knowing that if God doesn't send rain out of our hearts, and so he's crying for God to bless by sending rain, that he'll have a harvest that he can rejoice in bringing his sheaves with him. That's the picture that's being painted here. And the old covenant, though, the desire was for the brothers and sisters who remained scattered, that they would be restored and come and experience what we're experiencing. Under the new, you see this evangelism and missions and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the good news with our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. By inviting them to come. And that's labor, it's work, and oftentimes it's done weekly. When's the last time you wept over a lost soul of someone that you know, someone you love, maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member? When's the last time you wept over your soul and spent a sleepless night in prayer for you? That is so with tears. And when we do our evangelism, we do it in prayer. But just as God sends rain, God sends the harvest. Jesus said the fields are one of the harvest. Why don't we believe him? But he says that. We said, no, it's not a ground. There's no use to go inside. It's not a ground. It's hard ground. It'll come to God. Jesus said, it's white in the harvest. Pray for more to go with sickness hands. We need to make prayer for the salvation of sinners. A place of promise in our prayer lives as individuals and as families as a congregation. But the good news is, as we do so in tears, you do grieve with joy. Do you believe God's able to save that person that breaks your heart and doesn't matter? How do you know he's able? You look at the mirror. If he can save you, he can save anybody. If you didn't understand that. And who so in tears shall come rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with them. And he's not talking about sheaves, he's talking about songs. Of the old covenant restoration to the worship of God and to the to the land that God promised to Abraham, but under the new expansion of his kingdom and the building of his church here. A glorious song of the nation. But a recognition that there's still an age to come. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Father, we thank you for your promises, the promises that you made to David. We thank you for the fulfillment of the promises you made to David in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, in our joy of being reconciled to you, don't let us forget that the outside. Whose lives are ruined and wrong their way to utter ruin. And that's captured by you. The Lord, you have sent us on this mission. Go with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Take our Trinity hymnals and turn to it number 200.